Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Chris Budd, founder and chairman at the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, and Tracy Crooks, an advisor at Quilter Private Client Advisors. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Good morning. Awareness around financial well-being has steadily increased over the past few years and the effect of poor financial health on a person's overall well-being has been fairly well documented. Research tends to show that women fare worse than men across all areas of financial well-being, particularly in areas of debt, savings and pensions, and some have made the link between an overall lack of financial well-being stemming from poor financial education. But what exactly is financial well-being and how will it affect the advice profession going forward? Chris, seeing as you literally wrote the book on financial well-being, can you tell us what exactly financial well-being is? Uh, Not exactly, no. That's part of the fun of it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Financial well-being is quite simply how money can be used to make us happier. And uh, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions around this. Uh, For example, the idea that money doesn't make you happy. Well, that's a silly thing to say, of course it does. But there's a limit to how much money will make you happy. So the study of financial well-being covers lots of different areas. Um, It covers financial planning at its basic core. It also covers debt and um, budgeting and controlling your daily finances. But it's also areas like mental health, philanthropy, how to spend money to be happy uh, and uh, matching your um, it's about about know thyself. That's the underlying um, line that we have in the book um, that we that that I wrote called uh, the financial well-being book, very imaginatively. <laughs> and um, Know Thyself is all about, and um, the line that we use on our podcast is, work out what you want from life and spend your money on that. That is financial planning at its simplest. Of course, what you want from life and how that will make you happy is not such a simple thing. So I guess that is what financial well-being is all about. Sure, it sounds, sounds so simple when you put it like that. <laughs> Tracy, any thoughts? Well, I was just thinking really, as, as Chris was talking, that money does make you happy Com- completely agree but it's different levels so it's finding what's right for you uh, so some people have an expensive lifestyle so they need the kind of income to match that other people have a much more sort of simple lifestyle so it's it's the right amount of money and it's uh, being comfortable with you know with what you've got and what you're spending it on to you know to achieve your goals completely agree obviously with what Tracy said um, there's two parts to to work out what makes you happy. One of them is unique to you, and one of them is there are some universal truths. So working out what's unique to you and what will make you happy uh, is all about um, your lifestyle. As Tracy says, it's all about understanding your values, your core principles, and how money can be used to to enhance those. But there's also some, some truths as well. So for example, if you have the value of believing that money will make you happy in itself, if you see money as success or success as money, then that will make you less happy. You will be less happy than you would otherwise have been if you see if you are materialistic, for example. Um, So there are some universal truths that we can bring in, but it's not about telling everybody, you know, you don't stop having so much money. You you don't need it. (laughs) It's about how much is enough for you. But one of the truths that comes out of that is that whenever, and I don't know if Tracy's found this, but whenever I did financial planning with clients and got them to that how much is enough figure, some cash flow forecasting, uh, Mm -hmm. forecasting, what have you, we almost always discovered 
that they didn't need as much money as they thought they did. Yes. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah, that is that is quite true. Um, I met with clients earlier this week who were concerned because the uh, gentleman was retiring and he was worried that they weren't going to have enough money in retirement and just simply sitting down, setting out all of their expenses and the income they actually had coming in, uh, by the end of that meeting they felt much more reassured and much more confident sort of going forward. How much does having a plan and feeling confident and secure with your finances, how much does that affect a person's well-being, do you find, Tracy? I think quite significantly. I think having that plan in place, as Chris mentioned, the cash flow sort of modelling, being able to see that the plans that they've built um, are now sort of coming to fruition in terms of kind of retirement, not that we talk about retirement, retirement so much um, as a a later life and just kind of enjoying yourself having a plan in place um, and seeing the wealth that they've built up is going to kind of see them through um, the rest of their lifetime potentially even leaving some Um, it's kind of seeing that cash flow and it's all blue you know no reds it's just that sort of peace of mind Mm. there's generally questions around okay well you know what performance is that based on and you know I personally am relatively cautious in in that respect so we keep kind of a low level so that you know we're targeting it realistically because we know that it's a bumpy road but you can see almost um, an immediate kind of relaxation where they can see that everything looks okay and equally there's that kind of nervousness if if they can see a bit of red it's like well hold on what does that mean what you know what's that showing and I do find that they do have much more comfort and the two just go hand in hand. Chris, what's driving the growing interest in financial well-being among advisors? Do you think it's a fairly new concept? Uh, what's, your, what's your take on that? Well, there's a, a joke I tell when I do talks on this, which is that um, about whether it's new or not, which is that uh, I actually invented the expression financial well-being. Um, <laughs> I just didn't know that two other people had invented it before me. <laughs> it's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> but when I sat down to write the book, I googled the phrase financial well-being and there were two entries on that google search Um, now it's absolutely everywhere which is great it's wonderful and i think there's a couple of reasons for it firstly if you talk to clients about their well-being about happiness and how money makes them happier etc it's a much more fun way to do the job frankly it's much more fun than talking about investments and tax which are so boring I I would suggest that when somebody goes to a financial advisor, what they are saying is, look, I've got this money and it scares me a bit. I don't really understand it. I've got responsibility for it. Could I give it all to you and then not have to think about it ever again, please? (laughs) And the advisor says, yeah, no problem. Takes it away, goes off and does some research, then calls the client back into the office to tell them all about their money and how they've invested it and the risk you know, uh, how it matches up and all that kind of stuff. And that's the one thing the client doesn't want to hear about. So if we talk, so, so my suggestion is we stop talking to clients about their money and start talking to them about their happiness. Yeah. How can that money be used to make them happier? And I would never discuss, unless a client really wants to, but in my experience, they very rarely do. I would never talk to them about their investment portfolio. That's what they're trusting us for. Well, we've got mm. to be good at it, don't get me wrong, but that's why they're trusting us. That's why they're giving us their money. It's a bit like going taking your car to the garage and the mechanic explains to you for half an hour all the things that he's done to the engine. I don't care. I'm not <laughs> interested. Just fix the car, you know. Um, so it's a much more fun way of doing the job, but it also means if you're talking to it, and the reason for the rise, I think, is that 
you've got your robo advice, you've got your online this, that, and the other DIY investing. And uh, I know it's having a, a difficult start, but I do think it's here to stay. And I think it will more and more people will go that way as they get more and more conscious of cost. So we need to add value. We need to do something more than just managing an investment portfolio for somebody. And if you have given them maybe some coaching, help them work out what they want from life, help them then create a financial plan to get to that point that they didn't even know they could get to before they came to see you, you're going to have clients who are going to come back. And you're going to have clients who are locked in. You're going to have clients, in fact, who are ambassadors who go out and boast to people what their financial planner did for them. And, and that's a way of future-proofing your business. So I think that's why it's becoming really popular. It's more enjoyable and it's future-proofing your business. I think that's very true. I think, Chris, you may disagree with me here, but I think more women coming into um, the industry is also very beneficial because women are, in general, um, and I am generalising here, a little bit more emotional. And also more keen to kind of understand everything. So historically, it's been a lot about products. Um, and yes, yes, give me, you know, I can take your money and I can make X amount for you. Whereas we are now much more aware of the need to plan for the future to ensure that our clients are on that journey with with us and actually kind of us on that journey with them to achieve uh, what they're looking for and there's nothing more rewarding than um, kind of I don't know the, the smile on the client's face when they realise that you know they can have that extra holiday mm. because you've shown them that with the plan that you've put in place you know things are working uh, yeah I, I just think the the whole working with people rather than products, that's really key. Understanding, exactly as, as Chris has been saying, understanding their financial plans and, and just helping them steer their way towards that. You, There are a lot of clients who they do want to know the um, investments and why perhaps their investments aren't doing as as well as they mm. um, as they think they should be and those are much more difficult conversations it's um, it's much nicer to sit down with with your clients and talk about what they're planning for next week next year and you know and how you're going to work with them to mm. to make sure that they they achieve it can I just uh, immediately agree about the, <laughs> about the women aspect? Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> one of the, one of the um, challenges for advisors in adopting this new way of working is that the client becomes the most important person in the room. Yeah. And uh, certainly I've seen plenty of occasions over the years of advisors who think that they are the most important person because they're the one with a clever technical knowledge. A little bit like your your, your solicitor or your, or, or your surgeon, let's say, who I've got all the knowledge, you're coming to see me, I'm going to give you all the answers to your problems, even before you've told me what the problem is, you know. And um, the alpha male type, you know, going to the extreme, the alpha male type, um, you come to me so that I can solve your problems, is not helpful. And it's not how this uh, profession is going forward. And of course, the more feminine attributes of, of being able to listen properly, they are much more conducive to this way of working. And it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge for a lot of advisors, I have to say. So yeah, moving to look at kind of how the regulator may look at this in the future, do you think a client's financial well-being or a customer's financial well-being, if, you're, if we're looking at banks and stuff like that, will become a bigger part of an advisor's duty from a regulatory perspective, Chris? Isn't it crazy that you even asked such a question that a regulator, will they ever get round to looking at our advisors making their clients happier? Shouldn't that be the basic starting point? Yeah. 
madness, isn't it? I would love to go to the FCA. In fact, through the uh, initiative, you know, there are there are thoughts that, to do this. But go and talk to the FCA and say, rather than regulating the point of a transaction, the sale of a product, and is that product right? Why don't we look at the outcome? Why don't we look at has that sale of that product helped the client to become happier? Because otherwise, what's the point of it all? Mm-hmm. You know, now of course that's a massive sea change, um, and everybody's thinking, and I'm not expecting this to happen overnight. But uh, it would be wonderful if we could all, the whole profession, the regulator, everybody, be focused upon well-being and not on money. Tracy, any thoughts? Yeah, I was just uh, thinking, kind of along the same lines, really. That I guess there's always going to be a need for the suitability reports. Um, going, you know, thinking of the regulators to uh, to have um, clearly defined um, covering of the costs and charges of the products, but I think on the whole they should perhaps be a bit softer in in approach. They should be, um, you know, we all do try and make them more personal, but at the moment we're all ticking boxes. We know what the regulator says has to be in there and and we're making sure that it's all there and absolutely, you know, to um to help the client and, you know, and for our benefit, you know, for mutual benefit, those things have to be there. But they should be more personal. Um they should be more aligned to each individual. Um and yeah, and just kind of clearly outlining the benefits to them personally, um, you know, and, and helping them so do you think maybe the starting point of a suitability report should be, my client told me that this is what they want from the rest of their life and this yeah. is what's going to make them happy yeah. and this is the plan I've put in place yeah. in order to achieve them, yeah. that goal, and then but within that plan kind of breaking down why it's value for money, why it's a suitable investment, et cetera, yeah. rather than yeah. my client is six on a risk profile. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The um the rather brilliant Philip Hahn of Clark Wilmot Solicitors, who's a um, specialist uh, financial services solicitor, she talks about having a compliance culture in firms where compliance isn't seen as the business prevention officer, to use an old fashioned mm-hmm. expression, but compliance is seen as something that's great for all of us. And if you have a culture which is all around, are our clients going to be happier, then you're never going to get a complaint. Because a complaint is when a client isn't isn't happy, right? Mm. So if all you do is try and make clients happy, then you're going to have a compliant culture automatically. It's just going to fall out at the end of the end, you know. Mm. Um, so it's not even something you'll need to have to try to do. It will just happen. One thing that we've kind of focused on is how, um, and rightly so, is how advisors can improve their clients' financial well-being. Mm-hmm. If we look at the the state of the nation in terms of financial well-being, we're probably hitting quite a low bar. Do you think if our end goal as an industry is to improve everybody's financial well-being, do you think we need to close that advice gap before we get there? Tracy, any thoughts? It does need to be more accessible. Advice is expensive and it's often commentated that it is expensive and not kind of accessible to everybody. So there has to be um, options and and things like the what was the money advice service, the money and pension service mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of guidance um, services. They are all there to kind of drive thoughts and uh, to kind of open people to financial plans and financial planning but there needs to be more we need to be looking more at sort of financial education from a young age and that's something that 
I feel like we have a responsibility to educate our children in in finances and and therefore kind of starting them at a young age, giving them confidence with money. Um, At Quilter, we support Kickstart Money. And I just think financial education at a young age sort of fundamentally will make a big difference to the future, you know, to sort of our, our children's future as such and the kind of younger generation because financial wellbeing goes hand in hand with with mental wellbeing and we do see that there's a lot more conversations around sort of mental health and you know finances we know impact a lot of couples and research shows that one of the things that kind of drives couples apart is the lack of conversations about money and and keeping things secret and you know as as Chris says the whole kind of money and making you happy I think being confident talking to each other about money and and not having to hide the things you've bought in the wardrobe and and things you know things like that it's (laughs) um, but but yeah it is it's all about being open just enjoying those conversations and and working towards the things that you want to do and as we sort of said right at the beginning it's not necessarily building the biggest of of wealth it's enough money to make you happy it's to achieve you know your ambitions and goals. Chris do you agree that we need to improve financial education in the country to improve financial well-being overall? Do we need to increase financial education? Yes, absolutely. Of course we do. Of course we do. Is it necessary to happen for financial well-being? Well, there's two answers to that. Firstly, I wouldn't wait for one to happen before the other does. Mm-hmm. Um, I would crack on. Oh, well, I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> but secondly, uh, there are different types of financial education. And there's a cultural shift that we also need. And this is why financial well-being as a topic being discussed is so great, because it's all very well t- teaching people about budgeting and how to manage debt and what does a pension mean and all that. It's really important. Don't get me wrong. Really important stuff. But it's also really important to educate people on how money makes you happy. The wider piece of financial well-being, because just to give you one example, so quite a, I think it's now becoming reasonably well known that um, a simple example of financial well-being is that you get more well-being if you spend money on experiences than if you buy stuff. Because mm. if you buy stuff, then the well-being you get only lasts as long as you use the thing. Whereas if you buy experiences, you've got memories and that's much longer lasting. It's also true that social well-being, our, our social relationships and the quality of those social relationships is a much, much bigger contributor to well-being than money. These are the sort of principles that we need to get out there, that buying stuff doesn't make you happy, that advertising is out there specifically very often to make you unhappy. So turn off the adverts. I I, I, I sit and watch the telly with clasped in my hand I have the remote control with my thumb ready for the mute button so as soon as the adverts come on I I haven't watched or listened to an advert for years because they make you unhappy because they're trying to get you to buy things that you Mm. think you need Mm. there's a I think it was Thomas Thomas Jefferson comparison is the thief of joy which is a fabulous (laughs) quote back there (laughs) yeah fabulous quote but um so so these principles they've been around a long time but Mm. we've forgotten them and now we're we're all kind of chasing money as success we're chasing things that aren't making us happy so getting some of that stuff taught as well as your basic principles of budgeting and debt that's the wider area of financial well-being that we're trying to focus on at the uh, at the initiative for financial well-being so tracy what do you think the industry can do more as a whole to improve financial well-being 
I think changing our conversations and using the starting point as the individual and what they're looking for to make them happy for the rest of their life. Quilter did some research which found that less than a quarter of 30 to 45 year olds felt positive towards their financial future. So that's something that mm. as planners and I say advisors and planners, but historically we were financial advisors, so we were saying, yes, this is the, the product you need, this is the right investment solution. Now we are planners and building full financial plans that I think is a move towards, um, you know, sort of Chris's initiative of full financial well-being. I mean, perhaps our title will change going forward to financial coaches. I was actually asked once whether our meeting was like a, a doctor. Um, so yeah, so now I feel like I'm a financial doctor. <laughs> um, but um, it was the whole confidentiality piece. But people are concerned about childcare costs, student debt, mortgages, but those are sort of specifics and, and we can build solutions that help them achieve those goals and meet those and feel the, the happiness in, in meeting those along the way. So the, the joy of saving for your deposit for your first home, we see how difficult it is for the kind of younger generation now to do that. But to be on that journey with them is quite satisfying, it's quite fulfilling. Um, you know, we've seen that um, the ministers have launched the financial wellbeing scheme to help savers, but there's no more funding from them to achieve that. So they're looking for more industry support from those of us that, that are here. Quilter support the Quick Start Money, sorry, Kickstart Money initiative, which I mentioned earlier. And it's that's a great example of the industry working mm. together. It's 20 of Britain's leading um, savings investments firms brought together by Tizer. But that's to, to fill the gap in the financial education. And I, you know, agree with Chris that we definitely need to build and focus on the well-being um, but a bit of financial education I think is going to sort of lay the foundations for that. Chris obviously you run the initiative for financial well-being what does that initiative do? Well I set it up because uh, financial well-being is a broad topic and there are a few people mentioning no names um, particularly maybe in the fintech uh, area who are using financial well-being as a kind of badge without actually practicing it and financial well-being is a really important topic, I think a massively important topic. So we set up the initiative for financial well-being as a kind of meeting place for people to come and talk about money and happiness and do some research, um, produce white papers, produce tools that financial advisors can use, but make sure that that subject is kept as broad as possible in all its areas, including mental health, philanthropy and so forth. So we've also got a conference um, coming up in May. Um, so uh, and we're looking for members. So <laughs> if they, if, forgive the plug. Um, if you want to have a look at initiativeforfinancialwellbeing.org.uk, come and join up and come and join in the conversation. Cool. Sounds like you're doing good work. Thank you. Chris, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.